Hopefully you got your Bibles. Uh, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews the past couple of weeks. And uh, tonight we are beginning chapter 2. To briefly summarize what we've covered so far in our study of Hebrews, we've seen really just the superiority of Christ in all things. We've seen how Christ is superior to, to everything. He's the complete revelation of God. He's the exact representation of God because He is God. He's the creator of all things. He made the ultimate atonement for our sin. and He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see that Jesus is superior even to angels. The whole first chapter of the book of Hebrews is devoted to just exalting Christ and showing how Christ is superior to all. He's superior to all people, to everything. And there's a reason that the author spends the first 14 verses of this letter just exalting Christ, just lifting Christ up, showing Christ's preeminence in all things. There's a reason he's doing that. It's because he's establishing the superiority of Christ to his Jewish audience that he's writing to. And they understand the Hebrew Scriptures, but he's also writing to this as well as us. He's trying to help us to be established in the fact that Christ is superior. Christ is supreme. So that we understand what he's about to say in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we see the first command that we are given in this letter. There, there's, a, there's a command here that we see. These, these, four, these first four verses give us the first of many warnings in the book of Hebrews. There's going to be several warnings we'll see about not neglecting Christ, about staying faithful to Christ, staying faithful to His church. And this is the first of many warnings that we will see. This warning that we're going to see has to do with the most important message ever given to mankind. And we receive a warning of what happens for those who do not receive this message. Of those who neglect this message. One commentator said that this section of Hebrews urges us to pay the utmost attention to the most worthy of messages. God has spoken. We looked at that two weeks ago, but do not miss that fact that God has spoken. He has spoken in His Son. And the most important message we can hear is the message that comes from the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. What is this message? This message is that God has revealed Himself and He has made a way for us to be saved through faith in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us. He has revealed Himself to us in these last days. God spoke in the former days through prophets and through many ways and at many times. But once and for all, through Jesus Christ, God has spoken to us now in these last days. And He has given us this message of salvation from sin. There is no greater message. There's no greater message that we have ever received. And there's no greater messenger than Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And just as the writer of Hebrews urges his readers in this text we're about to read to pay close attention to this message of salvation, and he warns them of consequences of what happens if they don't, if they neglect this message. 
And I come before you today, just as the writer wrote to the Hebrews, I come before you today with this same pastoral love and encouragement and authority and also warning. Do not neglect this message of salvation that we're going to see tonight. So I'm going to pray for us as before we read God's Word. And then we're going to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can study it. We thank You that we have copies available to us to, to be able to understand and to read. And God, we don't want to just be hearers who hear and don't really hear. We want to hear Your Word and understand. We want to have eyes that see. We want to have hearts that receive and respond with love and obedience and affection for Jesus Christ. God, would You speak so clearly through me, through Your Word? as You have so clearly and fully revealed Yourself in Jesus Christ, God, help us to see this message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And help us to have good ears that will pay very close attention. Lord, we spent chapter 1 studying, just exalting Christ and showing how He is supreme above all. And God, now we see this warning and this instruction to pay close attention. Would You help us to do that now? Would You help us to pay close attention to Your Word and to what it says to our lives today? we ask this in the powerful and holy and most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Read with me Hebrews chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. In these verses, again, as you're studying the Bible, first thing you need to do is make some observations. Look at what the text says. Because when you observe the text, your good observation will give you good interpretation and good application. So what is the text saying? What is this saying? There's really three sections that I I pull from this text that I want to examine. There's a command that says we must pay close attention to the message of salvation. We must pay close attention. Therefore, you must pay close attention to the message of salvation, to what you have heard. There are a few words in this first verse that I really want to break down to help us get a fuller understanding of this passage. The first word we see, and I I have an ESV, and maybe if you have a, uh, I know an NIV, and I'm not sure about CSV, but it comes a little bit later in the sentence, the therefore. And I've told you before, every time you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to see what it's there for. Why is it there? What does this word mean? Look back at chapter 1. The author has just established the superiority of Christ to everyone and everything. And because Jesus Christ is supreme and superior to all things, therefore, we must pay close attention to what He says. Because Christ is supreme, He's the supreme revelation of God, therefore, we need to pay really close attention to what He has said. It's connecting chapter 1 to this instruction given in chapter 2, verse 1. And we must pay close attention to what we have heard. We need to listen it's almost as if the author of Hebrews, as he's writing out, just, just exalting Christ, writing out and explaining and just describing the superiority of Christ, describing how He is better than the Old Covenant. He's better than the prophets. He's better than angels. He's better than everything. It's like in the middle of all this, the author just stops and says, you, I've just told you how great Christ is. You need to respond. 
You need to respond to this. Therefore, pay close attention. Your response to the exaltation of Christ and to this wonderful teaching of Christ is to pay attention. And that's what I'm calling you guys to do tonight. Is As we've looked at how superior Christ is, tonight pay attention. Pay attention to what He said. Because He is so great, pay attention. It's not just enough to know that Christ is supreme. It's not just enough to know that He's superior to all things. You've got to do something about it. How, how are you going to respond to this? If you know the truth and the facts about Jesus Christ, that He is superior to the Old Covenant, the prophets, the, the angels, and all that we've looked at. If you know this, how does it affect your life? How does it affect you? You must respond. That's what the therefore is connected. What is the command? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. You must pay much closer attention. The verb there for pay attention is a present active verb. What does that mean? It means it's a continual action. You continually pay attention. You're continually doing it. And the much closer describes the extent to how much we pay attention. So you're continually, actively paying much closer attention. So whereas you, just, just think about it in our context. Or maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard Bible stories. You're familiar with the Bible. You're familiar with how the church works. And you, you kind of got a gist of things. That, that's kind of what the author is writing to Jewish people. They, they know the Hebrew Scriptures. They know the Old Testament. He's saying, hey, you're familiar with all this. But let me show you. I've just explained how Christ is supreme. supreme. You need to look and pay attention. Pay very close attention because you're, you're pretty familiar with it. And if you're not careful, it'll fall on deaf ears. So pay much closer attention. We are to pay close attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. So what is it that we've heard? What, what is this talking about? What we have heard? What is, what is it that we've heard? It's the message of salvation. Think about it. We have a God who's spoken. He has spoken fully and finally in His Son, Jesus Christ. What is God communicating through His Son, Jesus Christ? You know this. Salvation. Salvation from sin. God, through Jesus Christ, has communicated a way for sinners to be righteous before God, to have forgiveness of their sins. This is the message that we are to pay close attention to. And it's found in Jesus. Remember in this context, they were thinking Old Testament. They were thinking, keep the law. Do this. Do that. Abide by the Old Testament Scriptures. What the author of Hebrews is saying, this has been fulfilled in Jesus. And you need to pay close attention because it's not what you do. It is fulfilled in Christ and who He is. And so for us, we need to pay close attention to what we've heard from the Son of God. Lest we drift away. And this is the greatest tragedy that anyone could ever face in life. The greatest tragedy is this. That someone can go through life just being carried around by the winds and waves of life, going to and fro, doing what they please, not really paying attention to the Lord. And they get to the end of their life. We, the winds and waves of life carry you right past God's offer of salvation, right into an eternity in hell. This is the greatest tragedy a person can face, is drifting away from Christ. That's why the author of the Hebrews gives this first command 
After exalting Christ, this command is to pay close attention to the message of salvation, lest you miss it. Think about a boat. Think about a boat. When you go to dock a boat, what's the first and most important thing you need to do? You need to tie it down, right? You need to tie it to the dock. Why? So it doesn't drift off. So it doesn't go away. So it won't fall away. And what this verse is saying is you need to anchor yourself in the Word of God. You need to pay close attention to what you've heard. You need to anchor yourself in God's Word. Pay close attention to His call of salvation so you don't just carelessly drift past it. I, I, I read this quote as I was studying. I, I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty eye-opening. It says, Hell is undoubtedly full of people who were never actively opposed to Jesus Christ, but who simply neglected the Gospel. They were well aware of the good news of salvation Jesus provided in Jesus Christ, but they're not willing to commit their lives to Him. So they drift past the call of God into eternal damnation. Hell is full of people who just really hated God while here on earth. There's a lot of people in hell today who just simply ignored the Gospel. They weren't out worshiping Satan and going, yeah, and just hating Christ. They weren't out in the streets killing Christians and burning down churches. They just were simply living their own life without God. Paying no attention, having no care in the world for this message of salvation. No one intentionally drifts. It happens naturally. And I love this analogy that the pastor Super Summer said, you know, about drifting. The only way to really recognize when you're drifting is to look at something constant, look at something that changes. Think about if you go to the beach and you're out in the ocean and you're just hanging out and just letting the waves carry you to and fro. How do you know you've drifted away from the spot where you came in? Well, when you see your towel or whatever else is over here, and then all of a sudden you're, you're over here, you're like, whoa, I, I didn't come in over here, I came in over there. When you look back to the point of reference, you realize you've drifted. Well, the only way that we can know we've spiritually drifted, the only way we can know we've drifted away from God is by looking to the God who never changes. Look back at chapter 1, verse 12. This is talking about Jesus Christ, but you are the same and your years will have no end. Later on in Hebrews, we'll look. This is toward the end. Chapter 12, verse 2. This says we are to look unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of the letter, we see this great truth that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ does not change. He is unmovable. He is unchangeable. And so the only way that we can avoid spiritually drifting away is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to ground ourselves in the truth of God's Word, to put our anchor in God so that we will not be carried away by the waves and the currents of this world. That will so easily and so slowly take us away. Think about it. If you don't dock a boat, you don't tie it up at the dock. It doesn't just take off. It slowly drifts away and moves away from where it's supposed to be. The same thing happens with us. We don't just, most of us don't just dive headlong into a life away from God. Into into just all kinds of gross immoral sin. A lot of times what we do is we just slowly surely and consistently drift away because we're not fixing our eyes 
on Jesus. We keep ourselves from drifting by anchoring ourselves in God's Word and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I understand this. There's no neutral zone in the spiritual life. There's no neutral zone. It's not like you're either, you know, you can, you can be for God or against God, but you're not really either, so you're just kind of in the middle. If you're drifting, you think about your drifting, you're constantly moving wherever the waves carry you. If you're not pursuing God, then you're going in the opposite way. It's not like you're just sitting still like, hmm. And so we have to understand this. We're either actively pursuing God, anchoring ourselves in His Word, or we're drifting away from the salvation. This warning is we must pay close attention to this message of salvation. And secondly, in verses 2 and the first part of verse 3, we must recognize the seriousness of neglecting salvation. We must recognize that this is a serious matter. Neglecting salvation is not just like, oh, well, who cares? Well, it's not a big deal. This is something with eternal ramifications. In verses 2 and the first part of 3, read this again with me. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution or a just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The author of Hebrews spent a large part of chapter 1 in the Old Testament. Remember last week we looked at seven Old Testament references that God that the, that, to show that Jesus Christ is superior to angels? The author wasn't trying to diminish angels, saying, oh, angels really aren't that important. He was showing angels are important. They play an important role. But Jesus Christ is far better. This is the message that, was, that the author of Hebrews was trying to convey in, in chapter 1. In the Old Testament, the law of God was given by angels. On, on Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God, we see uh, later, and I think Deuteronomy tells us this, that, that there was a host of angels, like thousands upon thousands of angels that were with Moses, that, that were at the mountain to show that this was a holy moment, that God was giving His law to His people. This is a holy moment. If you think about it, if you read the Old Testament, the people were expected to obey the commandments. And you know what happened if they didn't? They died. There was a guy who was stoned to death because he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Why? Because God said you were to keep the Sabbath day holy. You think about adultery in the Old Testament. People were stoned. People were killed because of breaking the law. Of intentionally breaking the law. Committing sins of commission. That means actually doing something wrong. But also sins of omission. Meaning failing to do what they needed to do. What they knew was right. Failing to do that. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, these, these consequences were severe for disobeying and for failing to keep God's commands. Why? Why were they so severe? It's because God is a holy God. And His commands reflect who He is. They reflect His character, His nature. And so to disobey God, to disobey His commands, was just a slap in the face of God. But more than that, on a greater scale. And so we were to understand, this was a severe thing. God would not allow sin to remain with a people. He was calling out to Himself to be holy. And this is why He removed people. People who continue to sin. People who just deliberately sin. People who wouldn't pay any attention to God's law. God would remove them so that sin would no longer be in the camp. And a lot of times you see that if people would sin, they would be removed from outside of the camp where, people's, where God's people were and stoned and killed. So that's how seriously God takes holiness. The holiness of His people. 
I said, why is this such a big deal? What does this say about, what does our text say here about this? Let me say this another way. I've already read verses 2 and, and the first part of 3, but let me say it another way. Since God took very seriously the Old Testament law that was given by angels, and we've already established in chapter 1 that Jesus is superior to angels, how much more severe do you think the punishment will be for rejecting the salvation the message that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ? How much more severe will we be punished for those who disobey, those who ignore the Son of God? If you look, two words in verse 2, two words are used to describe sin. Transgression and disobedience. You guys see those two words? Transgression and disobedience. These two words are used to describe sin. Transgression has to do with crossing the line. It means like crossing the line. There's a blue line right here. So, stepping over. This is the boundary. This is where God says, no, this is God's law. If you step over, you're breaking the law. You are committing an act of sin. But also, James tells us this as well, for if you know what's right and you don't do it, for you it's sin. So failing to do what you know is right. It's not just doing wrong things. It's also failing to do what you know is right. That is sin as well. Sins of omission. The thing is, both are serious because both are intentional. We choose to sin and we choose to choose to do things that are wrong. And we also sin by choosing to not do things that we know we should. And both of these deserve just punishment. Righteous punishment that God gives for sin. And there's no escape for the one who neglects a great, such a great salvation. But look at this right here. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, who's he talking to? Who is this we? Is he talking to Christians? Because if you have salvation, if you were saved, if God has saved you, Romans 8 tells us that there's nothing in all of creation that could ever separate us from the love of God. And salvation, we didn't earn it, so we can't lose it. God gives it to us and God holds us securely. So who's this we that he's talking about? So it's not Christians. Who's he talking about? Well, think about the audience. He's writing to some Jews who are really familiar with the Old Testament because of all the Old Testament references that we'll see in Hebrews. But he's writing to Jewish Christians and there are some non-Christians as well. I believe he's talking about Jews who know the Bible really well, who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, who practiced the law, who failed to commit their lives to Christ. They were really involved. They may have been really religious. They may have been really studious. They may have known the law better than anybody else. But they failed to commit. They failed to obey. They ignored God's law. The author's talking about people who know the Bible well. They may have read it daily. They may have been really involved with church. They may have enjoyed going to church. They may have been faithful to practice their religion. But they have not committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. As I was studying this, and I was reading this passage, and God was revealing this to me and kind of helping me understand this a little bit, I, was, I broke down in tears. 
So I was thinking about you guys. I was thinking about people I know. I was thinking about the church. And I was just thinking, how many people do I know that this is describing? I was in tears because I was thinking about your faces and your names and I was, I was picturing you in my mind and I was thinking, is this describing any of you? You're, you're acting in church. You've grown up in church. You read the Bible. You do these things, but yet you've not really committed your life to Christ. You're, you, you go through the motions. Maybe you, you walked an aisle when you were a kid. And maybe you got baptized. And maybe you've done these things, but you're not really committed to Christ. You did these things, but really, when it boils down to it, you really don't want Jesus. You just didn't want help. And I was in tears because I'm, I'm thinking, if we're just ignoring the gospel message of salvation, if we're just like, you know, I, I'm, I just, I'll do this because I believe I'm not going to go to hell, but I'm not really going to live for Christ. I'll keep up the religious appearance, but I'm not really going to submit my life to Christ. Think about the Pharisees, the ones Jesus often condemned in the New Testament. They were really religious, but Jesus condemned them. Because although they were religious, although they knew the Scriptures, they did not know Jesus. I was just thinking, does this describe any of us? We know Jesus. We're familiar with the Bible stories. We're active in church. But we don't know Christ. Your life may revolve around church, but have you been redeemed by Christ? You may labor for Jesus, but do you listen to Jesus? That's the command here. Pay attention. Not Christ is superior, therefore go serve Him by filling your schedule with things to do. It's because Christ is superior, pay attention. Listen. Listen to the Gospel. You may have grown up in church, but have you given your life to Christ? There's no escape. This question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is you won't escape. There is no escape for the person who neglects salvation. And you think about this word neglect. This neglect, as I mentioned earlier about, it's not necessarily going out in the streets and burning Bibles and just... Full on living a, a rebellious lifestyle. This neglect is simply not caring. It's not paying attention. It's I'm uninterested in God. I have no care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation doesn't interest me. That's what it means to neglect this. And I'll tell you this, especially for. Those of us who've grown up in church and we're really familiar with the Bible, we're really familiar with things. The punishment for neglecting Christ will be so much greater for those who knew better and still failed to receive Christ. Because you knew. You had the opportunity. You knew the Scriptures. Even if you believe. Even the demons believe. Think about this. Their lives are not changed. If you know Christ, you know the Scriptures, you even believe them. You believe them to be true. Yet your life is not changed by the Gospel. Your punishment will be far greater because you knew that you still ignored Christ. This should scare the living daylights out of you if you don't know Christ. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ. And also, it should scare the living daylights out of you for those who you know 
Maybe your friends, maybe your family members who have not committed themselves to Christ. You can know every fact about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you can even believe it to be true. But my dear friend, if the gospel, if God's message of salvation does not change your life, you are not a Christian. And don't go, well, I did this, because if it begins with, well, I, then you're wrong. Because our salvation is not based on what you and I have done. Our salvation is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And look, I heard a preacher say this one time. You have to continually go back to, well, when I was a kid, when I was young, in the past, God saved me. And you're not continually looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the one who begins your salvation and the one who finishes your salvation. If you're not looking unto Jesus... How can you really be sure if you're saved? You have to keep going back to something you've done and you're not seeing God presently work in your life. Don't be fooled by thinking something you did earned salvation. And don't be fooled by thinking that just because you've grown up in church, your family's Christian, and that you're familiar with the Bible, that you've fully committed your life to Christ. I don't want anybody to doubt But I also don't want anybody to go, oh, yeah, I'm good. And then your life resembles someone who does not care about God. Someone who is uninterested in the things of God. Turn over a few pages to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see how the author of Hebrews later puts this. The same, if you look back at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says it a different way in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, verses 28 and 29. Put it this way. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, talking about the the law God gave in the Old Testament, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who is trampled underfoot the Son of God And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. You want to know another word for neglect? It's verse 29. What does the author mean in chapter 2 when he says, "How, How great the punishment for those who neglect this. Another way to say it is, How much worse punishment will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. And has profaned the blood of the covenant. By which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. If you don't think God takes his gospel message seriously. If you don't think he takes obedience to the son seriously. You're wrong. If you think you can just coast through life. Just drifting. Doing whatever you want. Just going through. And and just being, being involved somehow with the church. And thinking oh yeah I'm good enough. That's a poor way of thinking. If your life is committed to Christ, if you're surrendered to Christ, you will be completely committed to Him. And you will live for Him. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You must recognize the seriousness of neglecting salvation. And then lastly, let's look at verses back in chapter 2, the end of verse 3 and verse 4. We see that we must listen to the witnesses of salvation. This isn't a salvation that's just an unreliable message. It's not just something that's just a myth or a fairy tale. There are witnesses to this. 
And we just looked at the scripture in Hebrews 10 about the seriousness of how those who put aside, those who ignored the Mosaic law, they were put to death without mercy on the basis of two or three witnesses. How much more, as we see the witnesses to God's Son bringing the message of salvation, how much more seriously and how much more severe the punishment for the one who neglects God's law, since now we have a greater messenger and greater witnesses. Consider the witnesses. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. Consider the witnesses. It was first declared by the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Who is it talking about? It's talking about the apostles. Talking about the apostles are the ones who were with Jesus, eyewitnesses of Jesus. The apostles. While God bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles, by by God demonstrating His power, the the Father working through miracles, and the Holy Spirit and uh, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will, talking about God, the Holy Spirit working through gifting the church. So we see these witnesses. We see the Trinity. We see God working as a witness Himself, and also the ones who were with Him. But how do you know this to be true? How do you know that this message is true? Because if you think about it, all throughout history, false prophets have risen up. There have been ones who have risen up proclaiming a message trying to lead people astray. So how do you know that this message is true? What's to prove that the message Jesus came to proclaim is true? Why should we, as the writer says, pay much closer attention and listen to Jesus? Why? Why should we? Well, think about it. Jesus... He claimed to be God. That's a big claim. And His works, His healing, the things He did, only God could do. And thus He proved that His message of salvation was true. Because He did things only God could do. You think about God. God demonstrating His power. God gave the apostles special gifts of divine nature to show that their work and their message was from God. There were things that the apostles were able to do. They were able to heal people. They were able to do all kinds of incredible things, special, unique giftings that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles in the first century to show that their message was true. To prove to the world, hey, you may think this is a false prophet, but we're showing you this only we can only do these things because God is true. He has given us this ability. And think about God Himself. He worked mighty miracles and demonstrated His power, validating the truthfulness of His message of salvation. The point of verses 3 and 4 is to show how God confirmed His message given to us in Jesus Christ. And we must listen to these witnesses and heed the warning. Pay attention to this warning of neglecting such a great salvation. You think about it. We've been... Think about our lives. Think about... How we've grown up. We've really been blessed. We've been blessed with freedoms that a lot of Christians, a lot of people don't have. Much less a lot of Christians don't have. We have a lot of freedoms. We have security. We have a lot of comforts in life. So much so that it can be a danger to us, really. Many people don't see their need for salvation because why do they need saving? They have everything they need. You look around, we don't need anything. We have tons of Tons of things. We don't need anything. So a lot of people don't think they need salvation from Christ. Many people, they may know the facts about Jesus. They may know, they can make and tell you the story. 
They can may tell you, they can may even tell you the gospel. And they may even believe it. Yet many people don't see Jesus as necessary for their lives. They don't see how Jesus is necessary, and therefore they're just uninterested. They just they couldn't care less. They, they, they just go about life like, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe Jesus is true, but I don't really care. Many people find themselves this way. And therefore they're drifting. They're drifting. Drifting isn't always towards something horrible and grossly immoral. Most often people neglect salvation. Most often people drift just because they're not anchoring themselves in Christ. They've ignored God's revelation of Himself through His Son, through His Word. And therefore they just drift on in life. The winds and the waves of life seem pleasant. Hey, it's just kind of carrying me. It's rocking me. It's kind of nice. Just going to and fro. Not really caring the world. It's not too bad. It's kind of nice. It's kind of pleasant. And many people go about life. And they get to the end of their life. And before they realize it, it's, it's, it's too late. They've drifted away from Christ. It seems so harmless, but it has eternal ramifications. And so tonight, I just want to challenge you to do some introspection. Look inside yourself. Think about your life. Seriously think. Seriously take time. Honestly answer these questions. Do you hunger and thirst for God? As a deer pants for water, does your soul long for God? Do you care about the things of God? Do you hunger? Do you look forward to reading His Word? Do you hunger for it? Do you look at Jesus? Do you listen to Jesus? Or are you just uninterested? You honestly just don't care. You're like, sure, I believe He's true, but I really don't care. Does that describe you? Let it not be said of you that you neglected this great message of salvation because you didn't care. It's not that you didn't know. If you neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, any one of you in this room, It's not because you didn't know. It's because you didn't care. And this is is something that is not to be taken lightly. It is not something that just matters here and now. As I said earlier, it's got eternal ramifications. Life or death. Eternal joy and blessings and rejoicing and worship of God in heaven. Or eternal damnation. With God's just wrath against sin. Your sin. I plead with you earnestly tonight. Don't neglect Christ. Don't put them off. Don't ignore them. Don't have a careless attitude toward Christ. And if you find yourself in this state, you can come to know the Lord tonight. As we just sang earlier, whatever situation in life you're in, you can come to the Lord. And my prayer is that tonight, you would come to the Lord and not neglect God's offer of salvation. Would you pray with me? God, as we think about... This text, God, it's a weighty text because it's a serious text. It's the most important message we could ever hear is the message of salvation. And God, we see our tendency is to drift. That's why there's a warning not to drift. And Lord, the only way we can do that is by understanding the superiority of Christ and paying close attention to what you've said. To ground ourselves in your word. So God, help us to be disciplined, to study your word, to know who you are, to worship you. Because you're worthy. You're worthy, God. Would you bless these students? Would you work in their life? Holy Spirit, would you convict of sin? Would you convict of God's righteousness so that we see how righteous and holy you are and how sinful we are? 
Would you draw people to yourself? God, would you, would you have your way among us? Be glorified in and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.